Welcome to the Soul Sessions Podcast. Deep dive into the causes and real issues underlying addiction, codependency, emotional eating, weight concerns, and the trance of unworthiness. Tune in weekly to befriend, nourish, and heal body, feelings, mind, and soul. And now, your host, soul-centered psychotherapist, trauma expert, and mind-body eating coach, Jody Gale. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Soul Sessions with Jodie Gale podcast. I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which my office is based and across which we virtually meet and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. I extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening to this podcast. Today, my guest is Sarah Lee. So Sarah is a certified eating disorder recovery coach located in Dallas, Texas and works with clients worldwide. In addition, she is also professionally certified in mind-body nutrition, dynamic eating psychology, and eating disorder intuitive therapy. Sarah helps all ages, yet specializes in adolescence. She believes the road to recovery is as unique as each individual and their story. While thriving and overachieving at a young age in the banking industry, Sarah secretly struggled with bulimia for seven years in her 20s. However, has now been free for 14 years. Not only does she personally understand what it is like to have an eating disorder and experience a recovery journey, she also has the education and skills to help. Welcome, Sarah. Oh, thank you, Jody. I am so excited to be here with you and your audience on Soul Sessions. Thanks for having me. Yeah, look, I'm so looking forward to us talking. We, and connecting in person, we have both recovered from bulimia. We're both trained by Carolyn Coston as recovery coaches. And we recently both discovered that we both were in the same cohort, I think, at the Institute for the Psychology of Eating. So we're clearly both on the same track here. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Talk about like a soul connection. More to this relationship developing here. (laughs) Exactly. So All the way from Dallas. (laughs) I know, I know. Would you share with our audience a little bit about yourself and your own history with disordered eating and what led you to becoming an eating psychology and Carolyn Coston eating disorder coach? Yeah, I would love to, Jody. And your introduction of me really summed it up nicely. But to go into a little more detail, and I truly believe that each person's story and the relationship they have with food and body really starts at a very young age. It starts to cultivate itself, even if at a conscious level, we don't realize that. So I want to just touch on those high level points within my story so that um, the audience can see how this evolved for me. But we grew up after my mom and dad divorced when I was four years old, we grew up in poverty. So we really didn't have much. And there were times that we really struggled and food was scarce. So I have these vivid memories growing up of eating lots of things like beans and rice or cereal for dinner. And it was off-brand cereal. (laughs) Like I have memories, Jody, where I'd like go to a friend's house because we lived in a bad area. So my mom used my grandfather's address so we could go to a better school. And so I had friends that were in much better economic positions than Uh I was. So my friend's house, they would have like the real Apple Jacks, right? 
And at home, like we would have apple O's, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, off brand. Mm-hmm. But as a young girl, it just kind of made me feel less than mm-hmm. and not mm-hmm. good enough. And specifically, it's interesting that food, for whatever reason, Jody had an impact little impact moments like that. But my mom, she lived her life in a larger body, although I never heard my mom talk badly about her body at all. But Mm -hmm. she had a love for food. She had a love for cooking. And so when we did have some money, Mm -hmm. guess where it went? Yeah. Food, right? Yeah. Yeah these fabulous meals and it was so even though we didn't have much growing up there was a lot of love in our home Mm. but food just took this place so I'm gonna fast forward now because there Mm. were some other like pivotal moments but Mm -hmm. I really didn't start to struggle with my body image until I became pregnant at 21 years old I had married my high school sweetheart and we were already Jody in for to simplify my words and economize my words, growing in different ways and becoming the people we're supposed to be versus who we were at, who we were in high school. Mm. So there were some challenges in that relationship. And for me specifically, I was very career oriented. So we're going to talk a lot about eating disorders today, obviously, but some of the temperaments that we see with eating disorders, such as high-performing, goal-oriented, perfectionistic, precise. Those were all me and they still are. I just know how to work with them now. (laughs) Uh uh So even at a young age of 21, I was super career oriented. Didn't even know if I really wanted to be a mom, truth be told, but I was happy and was going to love my baby and all of that. Well, through my pregnancy, I gained 70 pounds. And for the first time in my life, I found myself in this place of not liking my body, but I would rationalize it because I was pregnant. So after my son was born, I remember one of my first thoughts was when he was, this is so sad, Jody. It's like, oh my gosh, why do we think like this? I already know what you're going to say. <laughs> oh my gosh, he was born and I'm just going to be real and raw with your audience. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cause that's how I am. But he was born and he was long and my son is now 21 years old and he's six, five. Okay. So he's tall. <laughs> We don't know where he got that from. Some gene popped up somewhere, but he was 21 inches long, but he was only like six pounds, seven ounces. And this is horrible. When they told me how much he weighed, I literally (laughs) had the thought on the birthing table of how is that possible? I gained Mm -hmm. 70 pounds Mm -hmm. and he's not even seven pounds. (laughs) Why am I thinking this? I just brought this beautiful life into the world. But these were pivotal moments that started shaping something. So, of course, I loved him and I was enjoying being a new young mom and stuff. But I was on a mission to lose this weight. And I started piddling with all the diets. Up until this point, I hadn't dieted. I never did any of that. I was always never worried about my body. And I would lose weight, gain weight, the whole everybody knows the whole diet cycle. Right, Jody? Yeah. I was able to get like 30 pounds or something off, but still highly uncomfortable in my body. Plus, my marriage was falling apart. Plus, I'm a new mom. I'm 22 years old, and I'm succeeding career-wise. So it's like this complex like thing. My world was very complex. Driving home from work one day, saw a Weight Watchers Center. 
And I was driving by Weight Watchers and I had the thought, isn't it funny how we can remember these thoughts so clearly? I had the thought of, I wonder if they'll take me because I only have like 40 pounds to lose. I wonder if someone like me can go in there. So I went in there and I joined. And for the next six months, I was the most perfect Weight Watcher member anyone's <laughs> ever seen. <laughs> Except for me. <laughs> really? You are a perfect one too? Well, I, I've just written down Weight Watchers to remind myself to come back to it. Uh, just, I'll just sort of interject there. I went from, I was less than 18. I can't remember. I think I was like 15 or 16. My best friend, who was actually five years older than me, I was living a very colourful life already at that stage. So she was five years older than me. She wanted to go. Now, when we went, I thought I was overweight and maybe according to Weight Watchers, I certainly probably could have lost a couple of pounds. But my mm -hmm. friend, she was at the low to mid range of her BMI and they still took her. Yeah. They will take anyone. <laughs> yeah, you're right because you go into this eventually a maintenance phase, right, mm -hmm. where they keep you for life as a lifetime member, that kind of thing. So I can see that. So I'm glad to know another perfect Weight Watcher member. <laughs> and it really appealed to my personality. So when we think about temperament, like going to a weekly meeting, I get on the scale. And if I lost anything, the lady behind the counter would be like, great job. Yay. And give me yeah. a star. I know it sounds silly, but like my achieverness, like loved that kind of thing. Yeah. It made me feel proud of myself. Just that little thing and going in there with a sense of community and, and, this also with my temperament, because I felt like I was doing everything so perfectly. I knew my brain started to take on like its own almanac of all the points. So everybody that's been on Weight Watchers knows what I'm talking about with that. I didn't need the books, Jody. I had it all in my head. I could yeah. literally look at the table and tell you the points of everything. It appealed to me. So fast forward, six mm -hmm. months into this, I've lost all my weight plus some. I am feeling good about myself. However, this weird thing started to happen where now I started to shift into fear of what if I gain it back? Yeah. What if I go over my points? All these like what ifs and I was scared of what I had achieved would go away. We had gone out to this big business dinner thing and everybody was passing around chocolate cake and sharing at the table. Imagine that. We can't do that today, can we? Mm. <laughs> now, if we go around passing chocolate cake, everyone's scared of COVID, but back then <laughs> you could share chocolate cake. So it's being passed around. And Jody, I'm sitting there looking at this chocolate cake thinking, mm. oh my gosh, that's like a whole day's worth of Weight Watcher points. I know it. I am mm. not eating that. And all of a sudden, my colleagues were like, Sarah, you look great. You've lost all that pregnancy weight. Have some chocolate cake, blah, blah, blah. It was this major peer pressure mm -hmm. <laughs> that, made, that wanted me to eat the cake. And so I did. But you know what happened, Jody? I took a bite of this chocolate cake and felt like I couldn't stop. Like all of a sudden, I'm sitting at this table and I can't kind of hear even yeah. people talking yeah. around me. It's just like me and the chocolate cake. And I remember thinking, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, what's wrong with me right now? Mm -hmm. And we all shared it. So I don't really know how much I had, but we, it was shared chocolate cake. So obviously mm -hmm. it wasn't some huge portion. My typical self decided I needed to go back to the office to get some things together the next day, like around nine o'clock at night. And by the way, before I say this, I don't want to trigger anybody in the audience, Jody. So mm -hmm. I'll 
say this the best I can, but I want to kind of give that warning that what I'm about to say could be triggering to somebody. But I went back to the office and all I could think about is I have ruined my perfect streak of Weight Watchers. Yeah. I've ruined it. And that, I don't know how much weight I'm going to gain. I've ruined it. What does this mean? And I said to myself, this cannot stay in my body. Now, granted, I had no thought of bulimia, nothing in my head. I don't even know if I really knew what that was at that time. Exactly the same thing happened to me, and I didn't know what it was either. It was just, I, yeah. can't, I can't, after dieting, I just cannot keep this in my body. So I think that's, that's right. quite typical. Yeah, and so it's like you don't set out to say, oh, let me sign up for an eating disorder. At least mm. I didn't, you didn't. But I just had that thought of, I need to get rid of this. Mm. And immediately after I did, and I want the theater of the mind, I'm working in this big office building. It's like nine o'clock at night. I'm the only person in this office building. Mm. I'm 22 years old and I'm in this big office building all by myself and I'm getting rid of this chocolate cake in a bathroom. Mm. I leave the bathroom and I felt honestly good about myself. Like, okay, took care of that mess. Not going to do that again. Well, Seven years, I struggled. It launched me into this place where it was very cyclical for me, Jody. where I would restrict, go by my minimal Weight Watcher points because I was like in the low range of Weight Watchers, right? Like you were describing um, the other lady. I was, if you equated it to calories, it's nowhere near enough calories. So I would be hardcore Weight Watchers counting everything. And I would do that for maybe a week to two weeks. And then I would just have an episode of binging and purging. And I went through that cycle and my body never got to what we would say thin. I was, uh, everybody thought I looked great. I got compliments all the time. Seven years, nobody really knew I struggled. It wasn't until the latter part of that, that I, my health started deteriorating. I was still highly successful at this time. I'm like a vice president at the bank doing Mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff. I had divorced and we were co-parenting my son. Like so many things in my life were good, Jody, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. I had this secret. It was like a shadow life. And one day after being at an amusement park all day and being highly dehydrated, Mm -hmm. my Then six-year-old son found me collapsed in a bathroom. Oh, dear. Ooh, that still gets to me to this day. Ooh, because I woke up, Jody, and he was over me Mm. saying, Mama, are you okay? And I was rushed to the hospital, and it was just dehydration at that point. Mm -hmm. But it really scared me. Mm. It scared me that he found me. It scared me that now I was, like, exposed. On top of that, the next day I was supposed to go to, like, I think Phoenix, Arizona for some big business meeting. And the doctors were like, "Uh uh-uh, you're not going anywhere. And so I had to miss a business meeting. I went home that night. Thankfully, they put a bunch of IVs in me, right? It got Mm -hmm. me back to, like, a stable state. I went home that night and I dropped to my knees. And before I say this part too, I didn't grow up in church. Mm -hmm. Um, We were not churched. I would say my, both of my parents were spiritual, loving, warm kind of beings, but we did not grow up in in a more of a religious household. That was not. But at that moment, I dropped to my knees and I cried out to God. For me, it was like, I don't know what else to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm stuck. I've tried to stop this on my own because I know it's not 
what I should be doing. It's not good for me, my son. And I literally cried and sobbed. And Jody, I can't fully even explain it to this day, but I was filled with hope in that moment. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times we define hope as wishful thinking, but this hope is different. This hope was strength. Mm. It was encouragement. And it was a surrender that I have never in my life felt before. Mm. And the very next day I got on my computer and I was like, okay, I need help. And I immediately found this therapist that she counseled out of her home and she only worked with few people at a time. She was recovered herself, which I was like, wow, I haven't even known anybody that has this. She literally saved my life. She was just a beautiful soul and saw me and Mm. got me. Mm. And it was beautiful. And with, after three months of working with her, my behaviors, my actual disorder behaviors had stopped. Now I still had a whole lot of work to do with body image and trusting my intuitive self and letting go of some control. I still had things to work on, but the disordered behaviors had stopped. So that's kind of like what led up where my recovery started from. Mm -hmm. And I know you also asked me, how did I become a coach? So I'm moving along in banking, Jody. (laughs) And, (laughs) And after 18 years of being in it, and I loved banking, it fit my personality really well. Mm -hmm. But here in the United States, after 2008, Uh, the the whole banking model changed. And it became a lot of feed. In a nutshell, banking has become more fee-driven than margin-driven. And that shifted things. So I decided after 18 years, to leave banking. And at the time, my sweetheart owns radio stations and Mm -hmm. he needed a CFO. So he's like, come work with me. And I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) You know know how that works? I'm not sure. But it's worked beautifully. Now, how did I become a coach? Well, six years ago, or a little over six years ago, my mom passed away. And with her passing, I felt these, this profound feeling of, I need to do like more with my life, right? Mm -hmm. I've achieved, I've made good money. I've um, done some wonderful things so far career wise, but I felt like I'm meant to help and give. And like, what is the thing I'm passionate about Mm -hmm. now? Granted up to this point, only probably a handful of people even knew I had ever struggled with the eating disorder. I never talked about it publicly or anything, on this day, I st- when I started having these feelings and actually nurturing the thoughts and journaling about it, I was scrolling through Facebook mm. and found the, the Institute for Psychology of Eating popped up in my newsfeed. Okay. <laughs> and I got, I mean, we know they're marketing geniuses over there, right? They Jody? are. They are. <laughs> the, the, they're the, are probably the best on the planet, I think. <laughs> they are. They are. Somehow they knew that I yeah, could yeah. them at that moment. <laughs> But I dove in and I was like, I want to do this. I want to be a coach. I want women to know you absolutely can be free of all of this. I've done it. I want to give back. And one of the things in banking that made me successful was coaching. You might not Mm -hmm. think about that in coaching, but I had lots of people that reported to me and I love building careers and helping people meet financial goals and all that Uh kind of stuff. I was like, this is perfect. Well, going through IPE, which we refer to it, right? I realized it helps specifically with mental illness. 
I would need more. Mm -hmm. Like they do a fabulous job. Mark David is fabulous at laying a really good foundation to help with the process. But when you start getting into mental illness, you start to go deeper, right? You and I both know that. And so I knew I needed additional certifications, Mm -hmm. ended up with Carolyn at CCI being the last one, which I'm sure you would agree is the most rigorous certification <laughs> and the one I'm the most proud of. <laughs> it was like, uh, I said to Carolyn in my, when you give the feedback at the end, I said, I'm really glad this is rigorous because I think people who maybe haven't had an eating disorder and maybe they want to become a coach, which lots of people do. Some coach trainings out there are like, you can do it in four hours. You can do some in four weeks. Hers took me a year, but it, it was like writing a master thesis. <laughs> And I think I cried like a hundred times. <laughs> I know. And Carolyn has like such a, ta- I mean, she's, wow, what a beautiful soul. I know uh, you and I she, both agree. She's, and she's she so is. talented at providing you correction in a way that is from her heart. And it, it shifts you in a very positive way. Absolutely. And look, I, I've got to say, I think all coach trainings should be as rigorous as that. And and yeah, so. You and I are on the same page with that. And I've been coaching now, Jody, I've been coaching for almost six years now. And three of that with the Carolyn Costin Institute mm-hmm. certification. And I love it. I call it my passion work. And I find tuned it. I, I think running your own practice or your business, it has a life of its own. So it yeah. evolves changes it moves and that's been a really fun part of it too yeah so I guess that brings us on to who you work with and we were talking earlier and I know your passion is working with teens and mother-daughter dynamics can you say more about what draws you to these populations yes I know not everybody is a huge fan of working with teenagers but I absolutely love them so I'm like bring them on I think why is adolescence and even into the young 20s, there's a mix of needing acceptance, but also independence. So it's this complex mix of both that I just really love working with because I have found if you can gain their trust and get on their level of meaning I'm not superior than you, Mm -hmm. you can make some major progress with this uh, demographic, in Mm -hmm. my opinion. But they have to know like you are really on their side, you're shooting straight with them, you're not judging them. They're so used to being told what they should be doing, who they should be, where they're wrong. And by creating space for this group specifically to be themselves, practice that acceptance and also that goal setting of the future, which I know we're going to talk more about my role as a coach, but with teenagers, I find it really fun because you have a big expansive future to talk about and it's hot Mm. on their mind, right? Mm -hmm. So it's fun in painting the picture of what they want their life to be about and have someone on the other side of like, how are they going to achieve? Yeah, that's great. And what about mothers and daughters? You said that's your passion as well. Do you work with them together or are they separate or how does that work? I don't have just one recipe, but I think what's really important, speaking of my loyalty to the teenager, has to be present. So they have to know I'm their person. Mm -hmm. Because if I'm also mom's person, they're going to be like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not trusting this thing. Yeah, yeah. that's what I wondered about. Because, look, I, I mean, I'm a depth psychotherapist, but most of my work is really reparenting 
people who, and often actually I say that a lot of my clients are actually have had this experience of um, mother being quite absent. So I would obviously yeah. never work with, with the parent. And in fact, I always refer out. But so are you working with the issues where they've got mother issues mm-hmm. in the coaching? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, and so it depends. And then you have the interesting dynamic is usually mom is paying for me. So of course they want to know their money is going towards something that's helping their daughter. Mm -hmm. So it's an interesting dynamic. And I think what I always do is set it up from the beginning around my role. And I will never go to mom. And it's usually mom on the parental side that we're working with. Mm. I will never go to mom without my client knowing unless Jody, there's, I really feel like the client is in major harm's way. And I've only had that happen one time. Yeah. But I will always talk to my client first around Mm. whatever subject it is. So what will typically happen, I'll give you a typical scenario, is my client will talk about something mom said. Yeah. So the biggest issue I see between mothers and daughters all the time, and I I wonder if you see this in your work, but the biggest issue I see is communication. There Mm. is a translation problem. Mom means well. She's trying to say the right things. She wants like her daughter to be her best, like whatever that is. And she thinks she's um, saying and doing things that are helpful. That's most moms, not all of them. Okay. Mm. You and I both know that, but the majority of moms love their daughter. Sometimes they just don't know what to do or they try to do the right thing and it's the wrong thing. So the work I love doing specifically is I like to help mom understand how her daughter's brain is thinking and how the things she is saying translates in her daughter's brain. So for example, like mom, let's stay away from appearance, period. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And focus on feel, how she feels. Okay, firm how she feels. Moms sometimes, or parents in general, and I'm a mom, we have a tendency to want to fix it. Yeah. Like, let's fix the problem, but don't try to fix it. Just affirm how she feels and show some empathy. Like, if your daughter says to you, for example, I feel fat, that really throws mom off. Like, how do I handle this right now? And Mm -hmm. I always tell them if you sit there and say, Well, you don't look fat, you're Mm -hmm. arguing with a voice you're not going to win with. So instead you say, I'm sorry that you're feeling fat because I know how uncomfortable that can be. Affirm it, show empathy. No, you're not giving into it, but your daughter now is going to open up and listen to whatever possible advice you have versus you saying, you're not fat. Why don't we go for a walk? That's not going to work. Which actually a a lot of, well, what I I guess want to say about my work is that I typically get people older. So I don't work with teens typically. So there's often not a a mother there to, to be working with like that anyway. But I also work with complex trauma clients. So I've had quite uh, people who have had severe childhood emotional neglect, often parents who suffer with narcissism. There's been some level of emotional abuse and stuff like that. But Alongside of that, a lot of the parents, they've had their own trauma history and so right. they've done what they could within their range of awareness, I guess, is the best way of putting that. So We know that each dynamic is different. So I'm yeah. definitely painting a broad stroke of what I see as a kind of a majority, but we know that can be different. But I think helping mom with, you can help her find mm. healthy ways to like take care of herself and cope. Yeah 
once she understands that you have some empathy for her and at least are trying to understand how she feels. It doesn't mean you agree with it. Often they're struggling as well, aren't they? That the, the parents. Yes. So, and so, what what are some of the primary concerns that you see between mothers and daughters? So, there's communication. Anything else? Yeah. Well, I think what you just said, Jody, mm, is that with it's well, the moms sometimes are so wrapped up into diet culture mm. themselves. Mm-hmm. Perhaps they don't have. I see this a lot where they don't have necessarily what we would say is an eating disorder. Maybe we would say disordered eating, maybe, but they're um, engrossed in diet culture and not understanding how that is impacting their daughter. Uh And they see diet culture, that's just like normal. That's Mm. just what you do. There's nothing wrong with that. If we're following the keto diet in our family, and I really, I literally, I'll have this happen. Your daughter's struggling with uh, with an eating disorder, but the whole family has decided to go vegan. Yes. I know. Where the whole family <laughs> has decided to go on the keto diet. And a lot of times breaking down like, okay, like for you, mom, perhaps going on the keto diet, for example, mm. is not going to send you spiraling in a place where you are hurting your soul, mm. even putting your life at risk. But for your daughter, it's a different story. And she's watching those behaviors. She's watching the belief. She's watching how you feel about your own body. Mm. And this sometimes, right, Jody, can be some hard conversations to have. And so I approach them gently, understanding, because I get where mom is too. Yeah, that's it's really common. And something has just sort of clicked over for the child. And I get a lot of people say, even when they come to me at like 26, 27, and they talk about how one person talked about how she just knew when mum and sister were on a diet because they'd start drinking green tea. And then the daughter's in eating disorder treatment with me, but the family, and that's really tough too then because it's like, well, how come I have to give up my eating disorder, but you guys are allowed to diet? That's right. So in doing the work with the client, I'm their person. Hmm. So I really try to help them understand diet culture, understand and prepare them for even a life recovered because that'll be all around you. So sometimes I can use like the microcosm of their Mm. own little family dynamic Mm. is like a little sample of what living a recovered life can be like when we do live in these societies that are very diet minded and all about looking a certain way. Mm. And I'm going to come back to dieting and disordered eating. I'm going to put it out there again that anyone who is, and my, and my experience is a lot of these families are constantly dieting. It's not just typically a, a, a one-off. That dieting of any kind is disordered eating. Really, I'm yet to meet someone where there isn't some kind of something else funky going on there. So, Absolutely. I'm so glad you said that because I couldn't agree with you more. Because even though I'm kind of even maybe minimizing the family going on a diet because they're not Mm -hmm. a diagnosable eating disorder, you're right. There are other things going on. Mm So tell me what type of, so, okay, so I did the the Carolyn training and the IPE training as a psychotherapist. We have to have 20 years of continued professional development every year. So Mm -hmm. I basically did those trainings as my continued professional development. I still primarily work as a a depth psychotherapist and occasionally do some little short packages of coaching, but 
mean, I, I'm really here as a psychotherapist. So, and I know I get a lot of therapists listening to my podcast. And one of the <laughs> things that comes up again and again and again in therapy Facebook groups is this, I guess, this negative view mm. of, of coaching. And so I really want this discussion to be useful for therapists as well, to see that not all coaches are flimsy and that especially if you've been through the Carolyn Coston training, that the, the, we're the real deal. So uh, let's frame it from that perspective, I guess. So what type of clients is coaching suitable for? Well, two things I look for, and I love that we're going to have this discussion, by the way. Mm. So thank you for opening this door. First of all, like going through Carolyn Costant Institute, we know that we're trained that there are 10 phases mm. of going through recovery. And I would say I look for someone and just through like a discovery call and getting to know them, you can pick up on key language and behaviors and things like that they talk about. But I really want to see someone around at least a four, maybe a five for coaching to be somewhat effective. And what I, what those are just for your audience to know four is I want to change, but I don't know how, and I'm scared Yeah. because anything right, Jody, prior to four is like, I have a problem, but I don't care. I don't think I have a problem. And I have found if someone comes to to me because they are forced to by somebody else, but there are one, two, or three, mm. coaching really is not going to be effective where that person is at right now. I'm specifically talking about, and I have it in front of me, is the 10 phases of eating disorder recovery. Oh, like one is like, I don't think I have a problem. Two is I might yeah, have a okay. problem, but it's not that bad. So I really look for people that are more around four and five, where yeah. they're acknowledging that there's a problem and at least they have a little bit of desire. We know that recovery comes with some ambivalence, but there's at least some desire of wanting to change. In addition, Physically and health-wise, they need to be in a state where cognitively (laughs) they can do the work. And so that's really important too. And sometimes that is a little bit harder Mm -hmm. in the beginning to know because we don't necessarily know exactly what someone should weigh. You can take your best guess and say this person is really thin, but how Mm -hmm. do you know? You know what I mean? Unless you're going via my charts and things like that. But what I will say is after doing the work for as long as I have, you get really good at identifying it intuitively. Mm-hmm. And that's when you know you must have a team. Yeah. So if you have someone that's around phase four, they know they have a problem, they want to change, but you're like, they're really underweight, must, must have a therapist on the team, must have a doctor on the team, probably need a dietitian on the team too, yeah. and a coach. That's the only way I think coaching could maybe start to be effective. So those are the things I look for. Yeah. So when, and and when you're talking about the brain not working cognitively for any of our listeners, what happens is as as someone starts to severely restrict, I mean, you might be able to say this better than me, but the the brain starts to shut down and doesn't work. You can't think straight basically. And also I notice that when people are heavily restricting, their anxiety is way, way higher. Once they start to eat, they might feel anxious about the eating and about putting on weight, but that base level anxiety 
reduces. And there's a lot of science that happens in the brain of all the whys of that. But the bottom line is if they're, if they're starving, mm. they're not going to be able to do the work because their brain is not functioning exactly. at the right capacity. Yeah. Okay. So when you, when you're working with a coach for people listening, maybe they've never had a coach before, and certainly for therapists, eating disorder therapists, wanting to know more about eating disorder coaching, what might it look like? Well, first of all, I love working on a team with a therapist. I mean, there are times because the client is far enough long in their recovery and stable enough where maybe they only need me, but there's also times where they need others. And so I really look at my role for all the therapists listening right now is I become that relationship with the client that is almost every day and more intimate where I can really hold them accountable. I'm in the moment. I'm about here and now. So you asked what it looked like. Typically, there is a weekly session. Sometimes as they progress along, we can spread those out more. But usually there's a weekly session, 30 to 60 minutes, depending on what the client needs. Those sessions can be a mix of like talk and assignments, but also exposure. So I do a lot of actual eating with clients. I can go grocery grocery shopping with clients. I go clothes shopping with clients. So coaches are really in the trenches in the now, talking about how we're going to work on these behaviors, setting the goals. And I become like the communicator a lot of times on the team, Jody, Mm -hmm, where, mm -hmm. and they have access to me via text in between sessions too. So I pretty much have a good finger on the pulse of what is happening with this client which is also why at one time my practice got pretty large. And I said, you know what, for me to give my full self how I want to, I don't want to work with this many people at one time. So now Mm -hmm. my magic number is like four clients at a time, right? Mm -hmm. Where I just dive Mm -hmm. all in and give them my full self. But I become the communicator and give the therapist like email updates. Here's the goals we're working on, any feedback, anything you think I should change. And sometimes Therapists don't necessarily have time to like respond to all that, but at least they have the information from me that they can take into their sessions and know what's happening with our joint Mm. client. So it becomes more information for them and helpful. And they can also tell me, hey, I think it'd be really helpful if we worked on this week. And we literally work as a team or I'm just able to give them more information. It depends on the therapist from their way of working and what they would like. And I kind of mold myself to Mm -hmm. what's best for them too. Yeah, great. And so, I mean, you've touched on a few things there. So I just wonder how we will go about this. I know you've got a list on your website of the things that coaching, it's a yeah. therapy and coaching. Do you want to go through that list or do you just want to maybe? Yeah, let's go through it. Let's go yeah. through it. Okay. And so here is the list, like you said, that's on my website, sarahleerecovery.com on what coaches focus on. Mm. So again, the now and the how, right? The coach yep. lives in the present right now. And that's so important because a coach should not There's okay. Let me rephrase that because there is a could not, should not. But you know, when you're working intimately with someone and there is past trauma or there's some type of situation that's still plaguing them and they begin to trust you, sometimes that stuff will come up with a coach. It's not like we can put on blinders and say, Don't tell me anything about your past. Don't tell me. (laughs) I don't want to hear it. (laughs) 
So I'll create space and listen. And if they're working with a therapist, I'll say, I think that's a great insight you've had to bring up in your next session. If they're not working with a therapist, it's a great opening to talk about the benefits of therapy. So, but I try to bring it back to right now. Like, I'm thank thank you for sharing that with me. How do you think that impacts you today, especially with your relationship with food? Mm-hmm. So I'm constantly bringing them back to the present. How is this, you know, working in your world today? Yeah. Coaching clients are on a peer basis. So I kind of mentioned this when I was talking about working with um, teens and even though obviously I'm not a teen, Jody, I'm 43, <laughs> <laughs> but you really want to be on a mutual level. And sometimes it's challenging because it can flirt and you have to create boundaries. It can flirt with this kind of pseudo friendship thing that starts to happen. So you have to get skilled as a coach that set boundaries from the beginning that yes, you're their coach, you're on a peer level, but it's not a friend level. Yeah. We're trained to work with functioning clients. And that's what we were just talking about. They have to be well enough to be able to actually do the work. Goals are designed by the coach and client together. So I actually joke around that I'm like a negotiation specialist. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, yep. Well, it's true, especially with people with eating disorders, I think. (laughs) Yes, because there's a control piece, right? Mm -hmm. It's buy-in. It's getting them on board with it. So we build the goals for the week together. Like, okay, ever eat breakfast, one of your food rules or breakfast, what do you think about, and I'll, it's negotiation, right? I'll go a little high, they'll go <laughs> low, I'll kind of meet in the middle. Yep, yep. <laughs> like, how about five breakfasts this week? They'll look at me like, what about three? I'm like, how about four? They're like, okay, I can do four. <laughs> but uh, I'm joking, but that really is kind of what happens. So we build mm-hmm. the goals together mm-hmm. and it helps with their buy-in because they're part of it. I'm not just mm-hmm. telling them what they should be doing. And I guess I just want to say we're laughing because for me, it's because we've both been there and know that eating disorder voice, how strong it is and just how tricky it is. So I'm laughing because I think I was at that, are you kidding? Eating five breakfasts? No way. Yeah, I know. And I do try to bring laughter into it because let's face it, eating disorders are dark. They can be shameful. Mm. They're stuffed away in a closet, secretive. And so when it's appropriate, I do try to add some lightness and um, laughter to it. Coaches, we again, focus on the present and the future. We are action solution oriented. Mm. We explore the actions and behaviors that manifest high self-esteem. We're working on all those things. We coach to what are the negative self-belief systems happening, Jody, and Mm -hmm. let's challenge them. Let's challenge this critical mind. Let's challenge your eating disorder thoughts. And how do you do that? In practicing it, I role play a lot with people with Mm -hmm. challenging and having that dialogue. I hold them accountable to their goals in a gentle, kind, but like, we're going to do this way. (laughs) One thing's important as a coach, I do not diagnose or treat. That Mm -hmm. is the role of the beautiful souls like you, Jody. That's not my job to Mm -hmm. do that. And that's really important. And I would be, if any coaches ever tried to diagnose, mm. I would steer away. I'm not trying to badmouth any other coaches or anything like that, but that's just not our job. We're not skilled and that's not our scope of expertise and work. Even though doing the work we may know in, in our mind, sure. but it's not our job to do that. 
we stress really, I mean, one of the biggest things, Jody, is our availability between sessions, like yeah, being yeah. right in the moment with someone when they feel like I am going to binge right now and being able to reach out and practice that reaching out. It's very difficult. And looking at the client is like a whole being and a journey. We started this whole beautiful podcast today talking about everybody's story is unique. And I really look at each client in front of me as a soul on a journey. And I am here to serve and plant seeds and hold their hand and share my life experience in a way that can help move them to a place that they're ready for. I really love the way you went through all of those points. I think it's really clarified, probably clarified coaching in a way that has not really been accessible before. I think when you look at a lot of sort of coaching blogs and especially from like really big name coaches, they quite often diss therapy in their trying to promote coaching. And I just experienced you as being very respectful of that. And Mm -hmm. so thank you for that. Oh, you're Uh, welcome there place for it. It helped me. It saved me. There's a place for all of us to help. Absolutely. And so let's come back to people. So the audience today, people with with trauma, eating disorders, that sort of trance of unworthiness. And I guess in a way, many people over the years have been told that they will have to manage their eating disorder for life. I still, I, I saw that written Mm -hmm. somewhere this week. And I just want to scream when I read that. Is it possible to fully recover? Yes, yes, and yes. (laughs) Absolutely. I think you and I are living proof. And I know others that are living proof. Is it possible for everybody? I look at eating disorders on a continuum, Jody, and or, or we can use the word spectrum that is super popular right now. Do I think it's absolutely possible for everybody I'm an optimistic person. (laughs) I like Mm -hmm. to believe, yes, it is. But we also know reality is each person's story, Mm. life circumstances, relationships, their temperament, their level of resilience, or the amount of trauma they've had can really shape that person's journey. And so I never want to just put on the rose-colored glasses and say 100% of people can recover I would like for that to be true. And part of me does believe that can be true. At the same time, I'm living proof. Mm. And I know plenty of people that have worked with me, other colleagues, other mentors Mm -hmm. that are fully recovered. Mm. And being free and loving food and loving your body or even being neutral with your body. There's this whole idea now that the body positivity movement means well, okay? And I agree with a lot of it, but now it's like swung into this place. Like if you don't love your body every single day and feel super positive about it, then you have work to do. Sometimes it's just about being neutral. Like you're not in hate mode. You're not in like adore, adoration, love mode, but you appreciate what your body allows you to do. And it's just in this neutral place. Mm -hmm. And then you go into love. It's like any relationship. Not every day is just like butterflies and rainbows. Okay. (laughs) But you can have a solid, caring, loving relationship with your body and love food, enjoy food and not count points all the time. Yeah, that's a really great way of putting it. And so what does it mean to be recovered? For me, and I I mean, I think Carolyn's definition is obviously like the best one, but I'm going to sum it up in my words. I think that 
there's nothing wrong with wanting to like look your best and present yourself like in mm -hmm. a certain way. However, it is not the most important thing in this life. And when it's placed as the most important thing and you're willing to do things that compromise your life, compromise your relationships, compromise your soul, it is now in the wrong position. And so being recovered in my mind is taking care of the soul first, really wanting to live in a way that's authentic mm. and that is more expansive than just weight looks and what size you are. Those are very surface level ways of living in my opinion. And I've been there, so I get to say that. But when you live on that level, you're not going deep. Mm. And you you push away intimacy of all kinds. Yeah, so absolutely. it's just in a nutshell, living recovered just means you have a peace with food. You have great compassion and respect for your body and its life force. And you're willing to live life authentically yeah. in a way that doesn't compromise you or anybody else. Yeah. And that was long winded. I should have just read Carolyn's. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautifully said. Absolutely beautifully said. For me, it's all about a relationship. Yes, and that absolutely. is my where my spirit gains its ultimate peace and joy mm. in with that relationship, just faith and hope in the future. And knowing that there's something way bigger than me, <laughs> this here is just this little piece of yeah, a puzzle absolutely. of the collective and hoping that I give my all in this life. So religion, in my mind, is man-made yep. and it's up for interpretation and beliefs and if people find solace and wisdom and that's their way to live out this life what suits them that's great i believe whatever you know is working for you is good <laughs> as long as it's positive right mm -hmm. but for me it's all about a relationship and and not really religion at all yes that's exactly why i wanted to bring that in and you've described that beautifully so thank you so you mentioned earlier around what sort of happens in a session that sometimes you go for meal sessions, supermarket shopping, clothes shopping. Before doing the Carolyn training, I had kind of thought about these things, but I'd never really sort of thought about it in terms of sessions around it. So would you help our listeners understand what these might look like? Yes. The majority of these experiential sessions are typically more actual eating. Mm -hmm. The grocery shopping and clothes shopping, I don't do as much of it, mm -hmm. but I do from time to time, okay? But it's more eating with the clients is like the main yeah. part. And okay. so what it would look like is going back to what a coach does is agreeing on our goals. So depending on where the client is would of course depend on our goals of what we want to accomplish. One client that I have right now, last week we went on a meal session mm -hmm. or we can call it a meal challenge and we went to a restaurant called the flower child mm -hmm. now everybody can probably imagine what's at the flower child it's a very <laughs> healthy <laughs> type of restaurant but what was our goal our goal was not to challenge by maybe picking a, a scary food for her our goal, Jody, was literally to have lunch because yeah. one of her food rules by her eating disorder is never eat lunch mm -hmm. ever. Mm -hmm. So 
what it looks like is the session prior, we talk about like, okay, what do we want to accomplish when we go to eat together? What is the goal? What is the intention we want to set? And then we talk that out. And then the day of the meal challenge, we usually will connect for five to 10 minutes before we go in a restaurant. Or sometimes I'll eat like in a client's home with them too. Mm -hmm. But we'll connect for five to 10 minutes to reiterate the intention, check in with themselves. What are their feeling? What are their thoughts? Are there some thoughts that need to be challenged right now? And then open it up for if anything comes up for you while we're eating, let's explore that in the moment. And what I will tell everybody is doing the meal sessions are one of my favorite sessions to do because if you want that eating disorder to show up, Trust me, it's going to show up at the meal. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) You know, it can hide. It can be like calm over to the side (laughs) if we're just talking on the phone or via video. But you sit down with a plate of food in front of you. Guess what is showing up? Yeah. So I feel like I make such good progress because we can challenge those thoughts in a way that feels comfortable to the client. I can help them remember their goals and intentions. They know I'm there. There's a safety piece with me there. If they're struggling, I can just push them a little bit like any coach would do. My job is to push them a little bit to go further than what they're comfortable doing and like face those fears. And then of course we will recap how the session went, how they feel about it. And if I have someone that struggles with bulimia or any type of purging, whether it's like maybe they overexercise or Mm -hmm. let's say it's anorexia purge type, if there's a purging component, usually the meal session will be extended virtually. And what I mean by that is I'm usually on call for them the rest of the day because we usually set the goal of not purging purging, on top of the meal session goal. And I'll already tell them, Jody, okay, I'm going to be your annoying coach because I'm going to text you and be like, okay, what's going on? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You haven't purged, have you? And I do that. That is where coaching is really effective in the trenches, eating with them, making sure they don't purge or take on other behaviors that are sabotaging. Perfect. And you said that you go to people's homes. And so do you cook with people as well? Is that? Yes. Yeah. And I know you said you don't typically, you don't do as many sort of outings in the supermarket and whatever, Mm -hmm. but just for our listeners, if they were to engage uh, you or one of the other CCI coaches, what is the purpose of going shopping with someone like say clothes shopping, just so that they can see how that could help them? Yeah. It's like, oh, I want to touch on both. I'm like, how much time do we have? No, no, you're Uh, fine. You can do both. You can do both. Okay. Well, like I just had a grocery shopping session three weeks ago with somebody Mm -hmm. and what that looks like a lot of times you will find there is a, what's the word I'm looking for, Jody? They're, they hate going to the grocery store. Mm. A lot of times they're overwhelmed by the grocery store. And when you start exploring all the reasons why, why is there, oh, another word I was Mm -hmm. thinking of, ding, 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 aversion. There's an aversion to the grocery store. Mm -hmm. When you start listing all the reason with your client and exploring what prevents them or what makes them hate the grocery store, there is also this level of feeling judged. And what I mean by that is judging themselves for Mm -hmm. what's going Mm -hmm. in the cart feeling like other people in the grocery store are judging them, um, feeling like they may lose total control in the grocery Mm -hmm. store. Mm -hmm. Um, You get people that have what I like to call nutritional paralysis, where they have so much like nutritional information 
it's hard for them to get to through the grocery store because they're analyzing every piece of food. Yeah, stopping to read every label and exactly. Yeah, exactly. So the grocery shopping experiences is you really figure out what are the aversions to the grocery store, which specific challenges and fears would we like to set some intentions around to try to overcome and work through. I will oftentimes help them or have them make a grocery list for at least a few days. And we go shopping together and we venture through the grocery store. We address the fears that come up. And I mean, you'd be surprised one place in the grocery store, Jody, where people really, what I've found, get really like stumped, the meat counter. Uh, (laughs) Well, I would because I'm vegetarian, but but why do other people... You go to the butcher counter and there's all these different ways, right? The animals are raised and antibiotics and grass fed and corn fed and da, 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 da. And you will find a lot of people, no matter what the eating disorder behavior is, get very overwhelmed with all the options. I think too, in the States, I just know when I'm over there, I love going, well, of course I've been recovered for 20 years. So the supermarket is fine for me these days, Yeah, but I love going to the supermarket there because the choice is so I imagine overwhelming for people with an eating disorder but but it's amazing like I went to my husband and I went to Whole Foods in New York I literally was like oh my god look at the choice they've got here but for people in the middle of an eating disorder I bet that's really overwhelming very overwhelming so as a coach I'm able to hold their hand Mm. by literally pushing a grocery shopping cart with them and help them with making choices, simplifying it, and challenging the thoughts. So that those are the kind of grocery store experience. And then the shopping experiences, mm-hmm. if someone is, usually these will come up when someone has shape-shifted, right? Yeah, so they're yeah. going through recovery, their body has changed some, the clothes they have, or maybe they've been wearing clothes that don't fit them anyways, but they refuse to go into clothes that fit them. But they're at the point where they're ready to feel good again in clothes. Literally, it'll look like just like meals, just like grocery shopping. We set intentions ahead of time. So what are you thinking going clothes shopping? Any fears that are coming up? What do you want to accomplish? We set the goals together. When we get, We'll pick a store. Like, okay, what stores are we going to go to? It's a very clear-cut plan mm. where your client knows what's going to happen. Now, you and I know if you're out doing an experience, anything can happen, mm. but at least we have a guidebook of what we want to do. When I walk into the store and I always tell my client what I'm going to do, I'll usually find a salesperson. Mm -hmm. If one hasn't approached us, I'll pull the salesperson off to the side. And I, with my client knowing this, Mm, that I'm doing this, I would never do this without permission, but I'll pull the salesperson off to the side and I'll tell them I'm an eating disorder recovery coach. My client is in a really good place with her recovery and we're coming clothes shopping today. I need to, I need you to do a huge favor for us. We are going to cover up all the sizes. Mm -hmm. And I literally, Jody, will bring little stickers with me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I put stickers on wherever there's numbers. And Mm -hmm. I will literally bring clothes to my client. We'll shop for clothes. But the idea is to not get focused on the sizes. Yep. Now, sometimes if clients are really far along and they're kind of becoming desensitized to numbers, then that's not an issue. Mm. But you just have to be, you have to get one of the salespeople on board so they kind of know what you're doing because mm. it's going to be different 
And what you don't want is is for the sales assistant to be making comments about, I don't know, like, oh, that really uh, suits your slim body or stupid comments like that that people make. <laughs> Jody, you're so right because you can just see a salesperson saying, oh, you look really thin in that. Oh, yeah, my yeah, goodness. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Oh, exactly. And, and the eating disorder voice in the head is like, yay, look at us. And I'm in a big body. And so what they often say is, oh, wow, that's so slimming on you. It's like, is that a, is that a com- I'm not sure whether that's a compliment or not. You're you. I don't know what that means. So yeah, but you know, what's really interesting is I love doing that because when you tell people like, Hey, I'm an eating disorder recovery coach and my client is doing so well and we're here to shop in your store. Here's what I need from you. It's almost like you have engaged them and empowered them to help you. Yeah. And I literally had this one experience one time while we were checking out and my client had bought like three pairs of jeans and like two shirts mm-hmm. and we were in, in, the salesperson was so nice because he cut everything off before putting it in the bag for her. This salesperson, he literally started crying at the cashiers. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I told him, I'm like, you were so helpful. We appreciate you so much. Thank you. And my client was like, it was really meaningful to me. Thank you. And this oh. guy peered up and said, you guys made my day. Well, I bet you're... Um you're educating them some as well, which, which is going to actually then pay off for the next customer. So I think that's a really beautiful story. So look, we're we're about to run out of time. I could talk all day. Um, I guess, I guess just for someone listening out there who may be struggling, even if it's with chronic dieting or disordered eating or at the extreme end and having an eating disorder, what advice would you give them today in terms of where to go from here, about where they are and where they might go. What would you say? Don't be afraid to reach out and seek help. Don't feel like you need to be uh, sicker mm. or you're, you don't deserve help or allow your mind to say it's not that bad. If you are paralyzed or even overconsumed with how your body looks, weight loss, dieting, managing, how many times do we hear about like managing your hunger? Mm. If you are afraid, if you are afraid of your body, if you are afraid of food, there is help. There are so many beautiful souls that are out here ready to help you. Me being one of them and being on the other side of this, Jody, mm. I can tell you it's so much better on this other side, being free and in, in being in a body you can love and feel compassion for and enjoying food again. I just don't want people to be afraid to reach out and find somebody that they can connect with and that can help them. That's perfect. I just want to add to that too, that if you have seen someone in the past and you haven't recovered yet, keep trying and keep looking for someone that really connects with you. And in fact, you can even interview people. So do not worry about putting, especially psychotherapists where, you know, I mean, for me, and actually with coaching too, and you've touched on this, the relationship is so important. So you keep looking until you find someone that you feel that you can really click with. I think that's so important. Don't you, Sarah? So important. I truly believe that my recovery was launched because of that beautiful therapist that saw me in a very special way. Mm. And so, yeah, don't give up if you have tried and that connection hasn't happened. 
Yeah. And, and same for me. I was with my first therapist for seven years and I just loved her and I know that she loved me and mm -hmm. it was life changing. So yeah. yeah. Okay. So thank you so much for coming. I love hearing your stories and the way that you work. And I knew I wanted to interview you because I'd seen you, obviously we've been connecting online for some time. I just love your energy. And I just think the girls who get to work with you are so blessed. So yeah. Thank you, Jody. Thank you. And I have the same adoration for you. And I have forgotten so many times that we were recording a podcast. I felt like I'm just talking to a friend right now. So I appreciate you so much. And I hope it added value to our to your audience today. Oh, absolutely. Okay. For the show notes. Bye. Oh, bye-bye. <laughs> For the show notes, go to the soulcenter.online forward slash soul sessions, eating disorder coaching. Thanks for listening and bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Soul Sessions podcast. Loved this episode? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you. To learn more about how you can befriend your body, feelings, mind and soul, Get Jody's free 65-page ebook at the soulcenter.online. Until next time.